So we're in the middle of Moshe's discussion, resistance to God's request, go down to Egypt, take the people out of Egypt. Chapter towards the end of chapter three, we're up to the sixteenth pasuk on page one hundred and seventeen. So now God is speaking. Moshe, the last thing Moshe had asked for, what is God's name? What is your name? Which means, what is your identity? What is your essence? Names in the Torah being not just names, but actually descriptions. The change of names, for example, in Breshit is very significant. Uh, typically, the names are changed in one direction, but not always. In other words, Avram becomes Avraham, Sarai becomes Sarah, Yaakov becomes Israel, and that's all positive. And then there's another name change, actually, of Joseph. Joseph's name is the opposite. Pharaoh called Joseph Safnat Paneach, as actually this week Sedra. So Safnat Paneach, whatever that means, who knows? Says God. Some interpret the the uncover the of of of, of, of explainer of of riddles. Fun, Paneach is an odd word. So, we have it in the davening, by the way. We don't have it in the davening. You don't, but I do. That is to say, those who daven svard. Nusach svard. Anybody here daven nusach svard? No. Yes. So where do you have it? $64,000 question. No. Not even close comes up in one of the most beautiful prayers that we have. Nishmat Kochai. Nishmat Kochai. Starts from the beginning. Nishmat Kochai talks about God who was um, who was uh, able to redeem us, whatever. The whole, every soul cries out to God. Okay, Rishonim, Vachronim, Todorados, that's not pach to blow up. Faneach is taken to mean to uh, uncover or to interpret. Joseph was called Sofnat Paneach, according to the Drush, I think it's a Drush. Safun is that which is hidden. Like the Afikoman is called Safun, we hide it. So, Safun, redemption is hidden. Faneach Ne'lamim, the one who is uncovering the, the, the secrets. God knows all the secrets. Faneach Ne'lamim. Safnat Paneach is taken by many to be Pharaoh called Joseph. Safnat Paneach, the one who is uncovering the, the, uh, the, uh, that which is hidden. He interprets the dreams. But the simple meaning of Safnat Paneach, simple, who knows what it means. But we know one thing about the Chumash, which is that Baal Safon, later it says that they are Jews encamped after they leave Mitzrayim, in our book, a place called Baal Safon. Baal Safon seems to be some kind of Egyptian god. Safnat Paneach probably is related in the Chumash to some kind of Egyptian god. Pharaoh gave Joseph 
some kind of Egyptian name, but not just any old Egyptian name, but a name which is related to the Egyptian gods, which by the way makes, makes total sense in the Pshat, because he also marries them off to Asnat, who's the daughter of the Kohen On, Potiphar Kohen On. So Pharaoh was trying to connect Joseph to the religious establishment of, uh, of uh, Egypt. The Chumash never tells us why. We know that Pharaoh and the priests have some kind of arrangement because we know that the land is this week's parsha, or next week's parsha, next week's parsha. But, but we know that the priests don't have to pay, give their land to are exempt from paying the land tax. To, but it's something else, maybe because I was thinking, maybe because since Joseph is an outsider, he's a Jew with Ivri, and the Egyptians don't exactly care for the outsiders. So maybe one way to in, to integrate Joseph into Egypt is to connect him to the priestly order, the Kohanim. In other words, you can be Polish and still be the Pope. Right? You don't have to be Italian. Right? So the point is, Joseph could be the, the Ivri. Okay, he's the outsider. On the other hand, he's connected to the, to the priesthood of Egypt. In any event, get back to our point here with Moshe, the, the name change is very significant. And also, what, 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 is, what is the name? The name is, is saying something about the person. So Moshe said to God, what is your name? God either did or did not answer Moshe. We don't know what Eiyash or Eiyah means. You can read it two ways. The commentaries are divided. Did God actually say something about his own, God's own nature to Moshe? Or is Eiyash or Eiyah a way of pushing him off? I am what I am. Don't investigate so deeply what I am. But I'll tell you something else, who I really am. I'm the God of their, tell them I'm the God of their ancestors the God of their avot, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's my name, says God, forever. That's how I want to be remembered for, all, for every generation. That's my way I should be recalled, remembered from generation to generation. There's a drush, by the way, before we start today's shir, there's a drush on this, on this verse, verse 15, Zeshmi now that I'm reading this, I realize something about the Drush. This is my name forever. So Leolam, if you see the Hebrew, Leolam, you will notice it's written without, it's written, it's called Chaser. It's not written with the Vav. So there's a Drush on, on, on Leolam. The Drush, Seshmi Leolam, it is actually related to what I just said. Mifaneh Ne'elamin. What is what is Ne'elamin? Ne'elamin Marju means something which is missing or, or disappeared. So Shmi Olam, right? God says this is my name Li Olam, but it's written without the vav. So the drush is this is my name which is presently hidden. Why is God's name hidden? So the Gemara says the Medrash says God's name is hidden in this world, right? God's name is hidden. We don't, know, we, we, don't, we don't actually pronounce God's name. Right? We don't pronounce Yud, Hei, Vav, Hei. We say Hashem. Or Aleph, Dalot, Nun, Yud. But the, the Zeshmi, Olam, my name is hidden, the Medrash says, because as long as there's evil in the world, you can't actually know God's full name. So what, so I was thinking, actually the Jewish is very interesting, Jewish, because it says, Zeshmi, Olam, B'zezich, Dar, Dar. And this is how I should be remembered from generation to generation, and the Medrash connects it to another passage in Sefer Shemot, which is to write this down in a book, Zikaron, and that section ends in chapter 17 of Sefer Shemot, 
Milchamor Hashem Ba'amalek Midar Dar. Here we have the expression, a war against Amalek from generation to generation, Midar Dar. Here you have the, right? So the Medrash collects the two verses. Over here. And Zikaron, So the Medrash ties the two together. It says, the fact that Amalek must be fought in every generation, means that they're there in every generation, means that God is obscured in every generation. Because the evil actually obscures God. So therefore, only when you get rid of Amalek, says the Medrash, will God's name not be hidden. God's name will be will be full, right? Right, and Moshe said, Kiyod al The hand of Yah, Yah Yud Hey, the hand of God is on the throne. So the Gemara says, the Medrash, but God's name is not Yud Hey. God's full name is Yud Hey Vav So that the name is incomplete. The name is incomplete. As long as Amalek is around, the name of God is not complete. But someday, someday it will be complete. But here we have. Anyway, back to our apostle. And that's what God says. So God has answered all of Moses' problems. Right? I've given you a sign already, whatever that sign is. I have given you instructions. I, I told you, Eya, Asher, Eya. Tell them, Eya will be with them. Eya will be with them. And then God said to Moshe, If you want a name, I'll give you a name. The God of Avram, Yusuf, and Yaakov. Lech Now we continue. Verse number 16. So go and gather the Ziknei. Here we discover something very important I mentioned last week. There, there is an infrastructure. It's not that you go into the center. All the Jews are slaves and they have, no, they have no leadership. The Jews have leaders. It says go to the elders. Go and gather the elders of Israel. We are by and say to the elders, Hashem Tell them. The God of your ancestors has appeared to me. Elohei Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Reimar. And tell them the following. When God appeared to me, God didn't just appear to me. God spoke to me. Saying, to say the following. God said to me, Pokod has many meanings in biblical Hebrew. It can mean to remember. It can mean to redeem. So what do you, go and tell them make the following statement, Pokod Rashi, I believe, and Medrish says something very interesting about this verse, Pokod What Rashi says is, I believe it's Rashi, Medrish says, that it re- reminds us that at the end of the previous book, Sefer Breshit, the last verses of the book, Yosef speaks to his brothers. And Yosef said to his brothers at the end of Genesis, Yosef said, Exactly those words. God will certainly redeem you. At the very end of Sefer Breshit, um, next to last verse. So last words of Joseph's mouth. He makes the, he, he forswears them on page 111 in this translation. Verse 25, chapter 50. He said, When God redeems you, Take my bones up. So Joseph said those words. And now Moshe is saying to the people, to the elders, the Zikanim, tell them God appeared to me and said, means I am in the process of redeeming you. I am fulfilling what Joseph has said. 
So according to one interpretation is that this was it was like a secret code or something like that that the the, the Zikanim, the old people remembered these words, and now Moshe is going and saying to them exactly these words. Moshe says, "Pokot pokot So it's a way to validate Moshe's own. According to this interpretation, Moshe is is validating his his own position in terms of God really did speak to me. God really did speak to me. Because how do you know God spoke to me? So he says, "Pokot pokot Interesting, yes. 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 Right. That's correct. There is such a medrash about Serach, and Serach actually in the medrash is someone who is she like lives forever. You know, Serach is the represents for the medrash this idea of this tradition which is passed down from one generation to the next. Serach bat Asher. Interesting medrash that this woman remembers everything. She, she, she's the link to the past. It's interesting that said. Serach Badasha. Um, so yes, that's true. That it's, it's related to the same. It's the same. It's the same medrash in a sense. You know, you wonder about the medrash. You see medrash here, you see it there. And I always wondered whether it wasn't a big treatise of medrash, and that later it gets broken up into pieces. But it's all connected. It's the same idea that how do you know? How do you how do you know about the past? How do you know Moshe is valid? How do you know that God really spoke to him? So he says these words. He's saying exactly what Joseph had said. Now, what did what did Joseph? What does the meaning of pokod pokadati etchem actually? Pokod yifkod elokim etchem. So pokod is a very interesting word actually, because it has multiple meanings. But here's something else about the word pokod. Pokod can mean to remember, but not every time God is remembering, it has a very pleasant outcome, right? For example. Let's take the book of Exodus itself in the story of the golden calf. So Moshe turns to God and prays for the people. And Moshe says to God, at one point, Moshe is concerned that God won't forgive the people. So Moshe says to God, forgive them. And if you don't forgive them, and if you refuse to do it, to wipe me out of the book you have written. So God said to Moshe, no, those who sin against me, I'll wipe out from my book. Right? And now go back and lead the people. Right? Go back to the people. My angel is going to lead them up. And God says at the end of that conversation, and the day I remember, someday in the future, I'll remember them. See, you have exactly that expression, but there, it means the opposite of what normally it means, and normally, on the day of remembering, a phrase that appears also in the prophets, I will recall for them their sin, means I'm going to punish them. Right? And it's the next verse says, and God punished the, the, the Israelites who had made the ego that Aaron had made. point is, is one of those words that has a two-edged sword. I mean, it means memory. But not every time God is remembering, it's very pleasant. Sometimes God remembers things we want to forget. So therefore, Pakot has uh, a double meaning. In fact, the Davini Rosh Hashanah has exactly that meaning. So the Zichronot begin. And the first part of the Zichronot 
is all about judgment. God is remembering who poked ko kedem. God is visiting or visiting punishment, right? God visits the sins of the parents upon the children. So there you have this idea of pokod, which has a negative side. Negative is a punishment. So here when Moshe says to them, back to our verse, God says, The verse actually is very interesting. God says, Let's put in the past tense. I have taken note of you, says God, and all that happens to you in the land of Egypt, which sounds to me like what the message is, the Jews have suffered in Egypt. The Jews are slaves, the Jews are tortured, the Jews are seen as outsiders, strangers, whatever. And now go tell the people the following. I have, in fact, taken, t- taken account of the Jews, which includes all the suffering. But I also know what, I, I know all that has happened to you. I, I know all that has happened to you, for better or worse, mostly for worse. I know the ones who did it. I know what you've suffered. I know that, to some degree, one might say you actually deserved it. And I got to wonder what Joseph says to his brothers, whether Joseph is simply saying sweet words of consolation, or whether Joseph is saying something very different. You go, we're in Mitzrayim, God is going to take account of everything. Don't worry, because the brothers are afraid Joseph is going to kill them. He says, God forbid, he says, it's interesting, now we're thinking about the verse, it's always this way, you know? What did Joseph say at the end of Breshit? The brothers say, your father before, it's very interesting, the end of the Breshit. Coming to that pretty soon, unfortunately. I have a friend every year, when he finished Breshit, he cries. He doesn't want to leave safe for Breshit. I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't blame him either. So the point is, uh, the brothers go to Joseph. Just to recall it. You might say, why are we talking about Yosef when we talk about Moshe? And the answer is actually very simple. Because Moshe and Yosef are deeply connected to each other. I would, I'll even say more than that. But the brothers went to Joseph at the end of his life. And they said, to, they're afraid Joseph's going to kill him. J- Jacob died. They're actually afraid Yosef's going to kill them. So they say to Joseph, listen, our father commanded before he died the following. Please forgive the brothers who have done evil to you. Please forgive the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph cries. When Yevkiel said, Joseph cries. And Joseph said to his brothers, Don't be afraid. For am I God? You meant to do bad, that's true. But God worked it out for good. God, and don't worry, says Joseph. I'm going to take care of you. I'll take care of your children. take care of your families. And then Joseph says at the end, Someday, I, I, I want you to swear that when you go back to the land, someday you take me with you. And God will remember you. And God will bring you back to the land. And as, now I'm thinking about those psukim, actually. When Joseph said, I am not God, what did Joseph mean? We, Joseph could mean, right? What's he saying? Exactly. That is what he means, I think. He's saying, I understand where you're coming from. I know what you did, but I'm not going to do anything, because I am not God. But what's the implication? I'm not God. God the implication is, but God is going to, God will take care of it. And that's the pokod yifkod elokim And exactly, by the way, I'll tell you something, now that I'm talking about, this is all, it was unintended, but now that I'm talking about it, i got to wonder something else. The Chumash talks about God being pokod avon avot abonim. Everybody knows it, right? It's in the Ten Commandments. 
God is visiting the sins of the parents upon the children. For how many generations, right? For the third and fourth generations, three and four. So I'm thinking now, the brothers, right? Talking to the brothers. He says, And you got to wonder. Because after the brothers die, that's how the next book begins. Our book, Shvot, a new pharaoh emerges. Right? And how many generations are in Egypt after the death of Joseph and his brothers? Three. Right? Levi dies. There's Kahat, Amr, Moshe. Moshe's third generation Jew in Egypt. They all suffer. The fourth generation, they go out into the desert. But you know something? They also suffer. Not with that way, but this in the desert, plenty of punishment. Now I'm wondering actually if Poketa Vona Vota Vonim Beim, which talks about the future, but isn't actually recalling the past as well. It's exactly what Joseph said to his brothers. The brothers say, Please take us as your slaves. That's what they say to Joseph. It means they're thinking he'll do worse. He's going to kill them. That's what they're thinking. It's amazing. They don't really trust him. He's going to kill us. So they say, Our father. Our fathers, before he died, said, please, tell Joseph to, to I command you to the, you should forgive his brothers. In the Chumash, actually, Yaakov never directly says a word about Joseph, by the way. Nor does Joseph. My friend, I mentioned before, who cries at the end of the from Breshi, I was on the phone with him a couple weeks ago, he said to me, you know, Joseph never said a word to his father what happened. And now they're coming to, to the Joseph and saying, our father, before he died, said to forgive us, and Joseph saying to himself, why do you say anything? I mean, I, I, I myself kept it a secret. Why did you tell him? Anyway, but that, leave that aside. I'm wondering now about Pokod Yifkod. Because what Joseph may be saying is, listen, I'm not going to do anything. I'm, I'm not God. God's going to handle it. And then the last words are Pokod Yifkod Elohim Etchem. God is going to Pokod Yifkod, which has, carries with it not just redeeming. God is going to take it. God's going to reckon. God's going to remember everything. God's going to mete out the appropriate punishment, and then God's going to redeem. And God, and then later we discover God does it over three and four generations, which turns out to be exactly the number of generations that the Chumash speaks of after the death of Joseph. I'm going to die. After Joseph and the generation die, three generations, and that's the story of the Bible, story of the Torah, about four generations. Moses being generation number three, and then the fourth generation begins to possess the land. And there's a reckoning, says Yosef, a reckoning has to take place. You can't be redeemed until there's a reckoning. You can't move forward until you deal with the past. That's what Joseph may be saying. Anyway, come back to our interesting, no? I think find it quite amazing. I never thought of it that way before. I'm not going to, I'm not God. I'm not, you know, anyway. So Moses, go and tell them, says, go now back to our Pasuk. So and tell them, it means the reckoning has been done, right? For for Omar, and now God says to Moshe, and I have said, so tell this to the Zakanim. Tell them, I will bring you up from Oni Mitzrayim, from the misery of Egypt. I'll bring you up to a land of milk and honey. That's what you should tell them. Which is very similar to what God said earlier to Moshe. 
in verse number 8 of this same chapter. Right? I bring you up to a good and broad land, the land of milk and honey, to the place of the Kanani. Now Moshe repeats. But now this is what you tell the elders. Speak to the Sikhanim. So Moshe is not completely bypassing the, lead, the in, internal structure of the people. They have, they have leaders. And God says to Moshe, good news, they will obey you. Literally listen to your voice. That means to he- they'll hear you. It means they'll accept. Lushmoa in biblical Hebrew has several meanings. One is to hear. One is to accept. And one is to understand. Those are three different meanings of the word Shema. Right? We say every day, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. It probably doesn't mean hear, hear, hear O Israel, wherever O is coming from. Hear O Israel. It probably means accept or understand. Understand that God is one, or accept that God is one. Kabbalat al-Bachut Shabbayim, the acceptance of the yoke of heaven. That's the word Shema. So Vashabu Kolecha means probably that they'll hear you, that they'll listen to you, they'll accept you, they'll accept what you're saying. They're going to understand and accept what you're saying. And then, Ubata Atav Zidnei Yisrael Amelech Mitzrayim, and afterwards, after you speak to them, you and the elders will go to the king of Egypt. You're not going to go by yourself, in other words. You're going to go with, you have support. You have to go with the elders. When you, plural, notice the plural, you will say the following to Pharaoh. Say to him, the God of the Hebrews, Nikra Aleinu. What does Nikra mean? Nun Kuf Resh Hei. There's Nun Kuf Resh Hei in the Bible and Nun Kuf Resh Aleph. But Nikra with a Hei appeared, let's say. Nikra often appears in a way that's unexpected. When Isaac says to Jacob, My son, how come you're back so fast with the food? What happened? So quick. So Jacob says, Because God caused it or chanced it before me. You know, that's what Jacob says to Isaac. How come you're back so fast, son? Esau's a great hunter. Because <coughs> God chanced it before me. At which point Isaac says to Jacob, Are you really Esau? Esau would never talk that way. Rashi says Esau wouldn't have mentioned the name of God, but the simple shot is something else, which is Esau would never say God chanced it before me. Because Esau is a great hunter. That's his skill. He'll day outside. There's no chances. He knows what he's doing. It's not Hikra. Hikra is an appropriate word. Jacob is not, is, is, is not a Yodei Atzai. Jacob's Ishtam Yosheba Olim. Jacob doesn't know from all this stuff. He doesn't know how you, how you, how you capture the animal. So therefore he's... Yeah, God, your, your God chanced it before me. So it's problematic for two reasons. First of all, when he chanced it. And second of all, what do you mean God made it? Why is he throwing God into the picture over here? Something problematic. In any event, Hikra means often to happens it happens right over the chance meeting tell them you'll say to following to fit this, this is what you say to Pharaoh God is giving Moshe instructions this is the manual when you speak to Pharaoh say to Pharaoh the God of the Ivriim Nikra Oleinu very important word Ivriim the God of the Hebrews has, has appeared to us what is Ivriim Ivri tell Pharaoh the God of the Ivriim what, what, what does the Ivri mean Ivri, very important word. Hebrew, that's what Hebrew is. Ivri, right? 
Ivri has two meanings in the Torah. One is actually Ivri. First time we have the word Ivri, who, who's the first person to be called an Ivri? That's right, Abraham. Abraham or Ivri. A man ran from the battlefield, chapter 14, and he spoke to Abraham the, 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 the Ivri. Why is Abraham called the Hebrew? Abraham the Ivri. So there is... Okay, one second. Right. Similar to that, but even before that, there's a simple meaning. Abraham's ancestor, Aver. He's from Aver. Shame and Aver. The son. That line of shame. Shame and Aver. So Abraham is called the Ivri because he's a Hebrew. Because his great great grandfather, whatever, is named Aver. So the family is called after Aver. That's one possibility. Then it's what Nechi is suggesting. What Rashi says. Aver means from the other side. The one for the the whole world is on one side, and Abraham is on the other side. That has been a lot of the Jews often in history. Everybody's in one place, and the Jews thinking differently. That's the, that's the story of Jacob, actually. Levado. Everybody's in one place. Why don't you agree? The rest, the whole world is saying so and so. Why don't you say what the whole world is saying? It's not easy that to go along with the whole world. Okay. Because we're stubborn people. We don't want to go with the whole world. That often happens. So the point is, Ivri means the one from the other side. The word Ivri, from that perspective, Joseph is called the Ivri. Mrs. Potiphar, look, my husband brought the Ivri to make fun of us. Ivri is used pejoratively, it's negatively. It's because it's used negatively, when you talk to Pharaoh about the Ivriim, it's the ones from the other side. Now, the Ivri is used from the perspective of the Egyptians, Ivri is a negative. So go to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, talk his language, and say the God of the Ivriim has appeared to us. As opposed to, the, for example, the name Israel. The name Yisrael, as opposed to Ivri, Israel has a different connotation. Israel means the people that have their own destiny, have their own self, self-awareness of who they are. When you talk about yourself as a Hebrew, as an Ivri, so that's different. That's you're seeing, you're presenting yourself as the other is going to see you. Ivri means the other. So God said to Moshe, when you speak to Pharaoh, don't talk about Pharaoh, when you first meet Pharaoh, don't talk about we have a separate destiny, we have a separate culture. Don't go there. When you talk to Pharaoh, say very simply, we, the other, our God has chance before us. And therefore, we have no choice, right? We want, please, give us permission to go for a three-day journey into the desert to bring sacrifices to our God. That's all you say to Pharaoh. Don't talk about destiny. Don't talk about Jewish culture, Jewish values. Say very simply, we are the other, but our God has. What do you know? God has appeared to us, and we have an obligation to bring sacrifices or to serve, zevach, to serve our, our God. That was the instructions that Moses gets. As we will see shortly, Moses, we'll see it, I'll bet, gets with a couple of minutes. Moshe does not follow God's instructions for whatever reason. He deviates from the instructions. Who knows why? But he doesn't say it. He doesn't say it. This was the plan. God is giving Moshe very good advice over here, obviously. This is what you got to do. Don't go by yourself. Go to the people's leaders. Explain to them who you are. Say the magic words. And then you got to go to Pharaoh together with them. And you collectively, Amartem is plural. You will say to Pharaoh, the God of the Hebrews has chanced upon us. Now, please, say no, be polite. Let us now go and walk 
a three-day journey into the desert to bring sacrifices. And now God continues. Vaniyodati, very important. Vaniyodati, ki lo yitain etchem el mitzrayim ra'aloch, v'lo b'yod chazakah. Now I'll tell you something else. He's not going to listen to you. Remember this, Moshe. You're going to say these words. You're going to be polite. You talk his language. But I know, and therefore you should know, Yadati, I know. He's not going to let you go. Not even with a strong hand. Right? Not even. Right? Now the, tra- the JPS has a different translation. If you see the JPS translation... Yet I, they translate, yet I know that the king of Egypt will let you go only because of a greater might. It doesn't sound that way. JPS is translating and not, he will not let you go except except with a great hand. But, that's not what it sounds like to me anyway. sounds like not even. In other words, you're going to go talk to him. He's going to say, sorry. Then they're going to be Yad Chazakah, which means the plagues. And I'm telling you straight out that we're going to hit him with a lot of plagues and you would think he would bend and, and give in. It's not going to happen. I'm warning you, Moshe. God warns Moshe. Don't be disappointed with the initial failure. It's not an easy business. You start off in this business, everybody's going to turn you down. Everybody's going to turn you down. It's not going to happen easily. And it's not going to happen after two days or three days. Then it says, The JPS translation, I think, is not, not, not a good one because the next verse says, He's not going to let you go with a strong hand. And then, in the next verse, I will send my hand and I will smite Egypt with all of my wonders, which I will do in their midst. So there are two points about that all of my wonders and in their midst. It's not some on the periphery. It's going to strike at the center. It's going to strike in their midst. Afterwards he will send you. In other words, the, the warning to Moshe, God's protege, is listen, don't expect miracles right away. There'll be miracles actually, but it's not going to help right away. It's going to be a long process. Understand, be prepared for the long process. But we all know in life, you can tell someone something a hundred times, it doesn't make a bit of difference. They don't, they don't hear it. Because the first time Moshe goes down to Egypt, he fails, he comes back, what does he say to God? Why did you send me? I thought you were going to save him right away. You did? Didn't you read the Chumash, Moshe? Chapter 4? I said explicitly it's not going to happen right away. It doesn't matter. He's not hearing it. He's not, he's not imagining this. He doesn't understand. He couldn't imagine it. Right. Then it says, now God continues with the plan. Furthermore, I will... Literally, I will have the Egyptians look favorably, the Egyptians look favorably upon this people, this Am, right? In the eyes of, in the eyes of Egypt. When you leave, you will not leave empty-handed. Here the translation is, they shall borrow. It's not clear that Shoel here means borrow, ask for they will ask for the question is borrowing means you intend to give it back you will ask for could be asked for a gift so a woman will ask from her friend her neighbor those who dwell with her her larger vessels of silver and gold and clothing 
V'samtem al b'neichem v'yal b'noteichem v'nitzaltem et mitzrayim You will place it upon your sons and daughters v'nitzaltem You will empty out You will empty out v'nitzaltem You will empty out Egypt This is the plan It's interesting by the way Yes? No wonder that Moses could I mean it's so far-fetched It's so right. far-fetched First of all the idea that psychologically you should go, you know, tugging on your forelock and say, oh, we're just a poor innocent people. We don't mean you any harm. We just want to go out of the desert for three days. Doesn't mean anything. Don't take it seriously. Don't worry about it. They're going to, Pharaoh's going to ignore that. And then, but in the end, you're going to, I'm going to just really do a number on them. And then the Egyptians are going to give you Right. When you ask for it, no wonder he didn't take it in. Right. Who could take that in? Right. It's interesting, by the way, that the emphasis on this last verses. The emphasis is that the Egyptians will, the Israelites will find favor with the Egyptians, and they will give them all kinds of. It sounds like gifts, actually. They will give them before they go. They'll have silver and gold and dresses. You put them on your sons and your daughters. You empty out Egypt. This is the plan. It's interesting that God is focusing so much on the on these silver and gold and, and these various gifts. And why the women? And and, the, and why are the women? Ask, yeah, that's a, that's a good question, actually. Why is it the women that are asking with their their friends and their neighbors, etc.? That's a very good question. I have to think about that. Why specifically the women, right? But. Um, it's actually, let's, let's start with this. First of all, it's what God said to Abraham in the covenant. God said to Abraham, when he describes the covenant over four generations, it's four generations. The fourth generation shall return. But the third generation, the ones who don't, the third generation, right, who suffer, God said to Moshe, I'm going to punish the, those that oppress them. And they will leave with a lot of possessions, with a lot of possessions. Why did the Chumash actually mention that? I mean, the fact of the matter is, that is not what the covenant's about. The covenant, obviously, to Abraham, is not about leaving with possessions. The covenant is about possessing the land. The fourth generation shall return to the land. But the Chumash does emphasize both there and over here. It's what God said, emphasizes. When you leave, before you leave Egypt, when they're going to give you all kinds of gifts. The white dafka of the women, I have to think about that some more. It's a very interesting, important question, I think. But let's leave that aside for now. But they're going to give you gifts, right? Why is that? What is that, you know? What is that about? So... Here's what I think it's about. Let's look back to Abraham. We, Abraham, here's the story. Abraham has no descendants, has no heirs. God, no, I'll give you a big reward. What, what could you give me? Eliezer of Damascus is going to inherit me, and I have no future. Eliezer of Damascus, he's a good worker, whatever. He runs my whole estate, he's excellent, but how can he carry on anything for me? Don't worry about that. You have a child that's going to succeed you. And they're going to possess the land too. And you have so many, look at the stars. Abraham says, how will I know this to be true? Which means, 
what has to happen, made these promises to me, what is, what, what is the cost? What is it actually about? What is the price tag? The God says, you should know your descendants will suffer for many, 400 years. Slavery and oppression and marginalized care, and after all that, they'll leave with a lot of rechush. And the, you will die in ripe old age, and the fourth generation shall return to the land. What I think it means in the Chumash is this. God says, there's a two-pronged, the covenant consists of two pieces. First, those who suffer. Those who suffer do not possess the land. They're represented in the covenant by the animals that are cut in pieces. But the most we can say about them is that these people who suffered in Egypt, or whatever, the Torah doesn't say Egypt over there, but those who suffer, they're part of this process. And the first step, the first step in, being, in, in returning to the land is to leave with, with, with possessions. And the possessions are very important because the possessions are a demonstration that you're actually free. In other words, not just because the slave who goes free later in the Chumash is given things by the, by the master, but because it's a kind of, it's a, it's a, that's just a recognition which is important, but it also gives you the wherewithal to actually survive. If you're a free person but have no food whatsoever, so in what sense are you actually free? You're not free. So therefore, the idea of the Rechush, that back then and over here as well, you will leave Egypt as a, as a, as, as a kind of independent people. You have enough things to take care not just of yourself, but also of, of the next generation. You'll be able to put them on your children. You'll be able to feed your family. That's what it means to be free. But I would say, but the most you can say about them, in other words, what God is saying is, as far as the people that leave, these people you're talking about, what God is hinting at, at is, the best we can do with them is they'll have a sense of, of being free people. But they're not going to actually be able, it's already Torah's hinting at it, the people that leave Egypt will die in the desert. They can't actually take the next steps. They'll leave Egypt behind, but they won't actually be able to possess the land. That's what God said to Abraham as well. It's a two-step process. Only the fourth generation shall return to the land. The third generation, the most we can say about them is, Now, in terms of the question about why doctor the women, this is actually a very interesting question. Why is it the women asking from their friends? Um, I'm not sure about it, but I would say maybe, maybe what the women, women I presume talk to the, I'm not talking to the men, I assume the women, we go right beta, right? Maybe they talk to their lodgers, maybe it's the people that, people that, that are living with them, that's what it says, right? Those who live in their houses, and also mishchenta, from, her, from, the, from, from the neighbor. Maybe it has to do with something, that maybe what the Chumash is getting at, is that, it's interesting, how does the Bible read, read Mitzrayim? How do we read this experience in Egypt? For the most part, obviously it's negative. And for the most part, Pharaoh, obviously, very negative. And the Egyptian people also enslaved the Jews in chapter 1. But I think maybe the, the Chumash is getting at is, there are, not everybody in Egypt was actually bad. Many good people. In fact, the Torah says in Sefer Dvarim, that you have to accept the, the Egyptian, some Egyptian wants to join the Jews. After three generations, you, you accept the Egyptian. The Torah says you should not despise the, the, the Egyptians. Why not? You were a stranger in their land. What does that mean? But we were slaves in their land. So what the Torah is saying in Sefer Devarim is 
he was slaves in their land. But that's not to say every Egyptian was bad. Probably most of them weren't so bad. Many of them weren't so bad. The rank and file people weren't so terrible. So what I suspect is that in terms of who was the rank and file Egyptian, it's actually the women represent that. The women, in other words, not the people who try to enslave you because of their own power and because they wanted to take advantage, but the average person, right? It's what the woman of Isha Shudami said. But the prophet says, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the king for you, I'll talk to the, the general for you. Don't bother, she says. I live amongst my people. There's something about, say, the, the common person, the plain person, not the one who gets in the newspapers. The average person. The average person wants to survive, wants to get along, have a neighbor, they try to help him out a little bit. That's the average person. So the point is, within Mitzrayim, I'm wondering about this, that maybe the women you represent your average Egyptian, not the, not the power people, not the, not the owners of the, of, the, of the fields, not the ones who beat on you because they, they want to extract something from you, want to use you, want to abuse you, take advantage, because you kind of, I mean, slavery is very good in terms of, in terms of the economy. You can't do better than a slave. You work very hard, you pay him nothing. But there are people who don't care about that. They tend to be, in this case, maybe they're the women. They're not working in the factories, not owning the plant. They're just people. They're, wanting, they're trying to feed their families, trying to take care of their families, which is what you have over here. They'll give you gifts, not just for you, but they see your children. They want, they want to help you out. So maybe here in the Chumash already it's hinting at something about Mitzrayim that it's not totally negative. In any event, and they'll be happy to give you this stuff too. He has, he has to be happy to help you. And he tells them at Mitzrayim, this way you will you'll take from Egypt. And of course, the Chumash in, insinuates that and you, and you actually deserve to get this stuff because you worked all those years for nothing. And not only that, you're a slave who's going free. And the Torah says when a slave goes free, the master is obligated to give you something. Now maybe the masters of Mitzrayim are not going to give you anything. But the, but the common folk will, 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 will give you things. Maybe that's what's involved. And in any event, getting back to Moshe, it's all laid out for Moshe over here. And not only is it laid out for Moshe, the whole plan, but with a gigantic caution, which is... And don't expect miracles right away. Don't expect to succeed right away. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. Not only that, not just right away it's not going to happen, but it's not going to happen even Even if I beat on them, it's not happening until I send all of my miracles and all of my wonders and only then. And then you'll be able to leave. There'll be a mark that you're free because the Egyptian people will give you gifts. And now there's something else about that, about the Egyptian people giving you gifts which I think is a kind of negative over here. And that is that for the slave, or for people that are, that, are, that, are, that are insecure, you know, people that are insecure, so what, in, order, in order for them to have any kind of validation, they have to go to someone else who's going to validate them. They're not capable of validating themselves. So, that's what you have over here. What's the sign that we are free? We're, we are Egyptian slaves. What is the sign that we are free people? That the Egyptians themselves give us gifts. That's the sign that we're free. Without that, right? We, we're always measuring, in other words, we're always measuring everything by, not by our own values or by our own culture. We measure it by, ah, look how successful we are, you know? Look how successful we are. The Egyptians gave us gifts, you know what I mean? That's a sad reality. We have to measure it by what the Egyptians do. But that's the reality. 
because the people, the slaves in Egypt, don't have a real sense of a full sense of who they are. So they're going to measure it by, and then they're going to be free people. So God says to Moshe, because the South of Mitzrayim, this way you will be able to walk out. I'm going to give them a certain sense that they have a they have an identity, because the Egyptians are going to recognize them as a people and give them gifts. Sad reality, but that anyway. This is it. So we expect. Never read it before. Moshe will say, I got it, I got the plan, I understand the plan. Now let's go back, okay, I'm now, now I understand the whole plan. You've warned me, no problem. I'm going to go down there, speak to the elders. Together we're going to do it, they're going to talk together with me, not just me alone, I have a big support system down there. Now we come to the next pasuk. Not so simple. Moshe responds, Moshe said, the translation of the JPS tries to soften it a bit. And Moses said to God, what if they do not believe me? Which is not exactly what it says in the Chumash. The Chumash didn't say, what if? The Chumash said much more than that. But hey, look here. They're not going to believe me. They're going to say, God did not appear to you. Your whole plan presumes that the elders are going to accept what I said. But what if they say, Moshe, we never heard of you before, you look like an Egyptian to us, who says God, how, how do I demonstrate to them that God actually did appear to me? God had said, don't worry, God said explicitly, the Mepharshim are very, very, very bothered by this problem, extremely bothered by the problem, God said explicitly at the end of chapter 3 in verse number 18 they will listen to you and Moshe says Lo yishmu, they will not listen to me well, I just told you they will listen so the Mepharshim are bothered by this they try every which way to explain it some, some say the following that God has spoken to Moses about the elders you go to the elders and they will, they will shabulukalecha and Moshe's problem was not the elders. Okay, the elders will listen to me. What about the people? The people are not going to listen to me. How would I demonstrate to the people? I mean, in point of fact, the Chumash doesn't, seem, doesn't make mention of the people versus the elders over here. Sounds like Moshe assumes that whatever the elders do, the people will follow their elders. So if they would... Make a long story short, in the simple reading of the Chumash, it presents Moshe as not accepting what God told him. God said they will listen. And Moshe says they will not listen. And for this reason I think now God is going to how can I demonstrate to them that you really did appear to me? And God said to Moses what is that in your hand? And Moshe said it's a staff or a rod. Here's the first point. Whenever God asks a question, I wouldn't say 100% of the time, 98% of the time, it's always it's hostile. Hostile. It's, it's, it's hostile because, because when someone asks you a question and they know the answer, it's like a, a, a rhetorical question. What do you ask if you... Right? I remember I told you about one of my, many years ago, one of my kids had to take one of these IQ tests, you know what I mean, to get into a... So they asked on the test, what the test, I think he was two at the time. Two. Two years old, I believe. Yeah. Maybe three, and some gifted, whatever it was. So they have a bunch of different, 
you know, different, what is this, what is that, what is this, what is that, different implements. And this kid knew every implement you could ever possibly imagine. I mean, you can't even imagine what, I mean, I don't know, but this kid, you know, this kind of hoe, this kind of thing, and this kind of... So the guy's asking the question, what is this? Doesn't answer. What is this? Doesn't answer. What is, doesn't answer. So after he walks out, so my wife said, I understand. You knew every implement there. And why didn't you, uh, why didn't you answer? Two years, I says, he knows what they are. He said, he about it, right? Point is, what, what, what's he asking for? What was he was picking up on something? In other words, he's testing me. He, he didn't want to be tested. Why are you asking? Moses, what is that in your hands? God knows exactly what's in his hands. So, Mazebi Yodecha, right? Which is written, Mem Zayinei. Mazebi Yodecha. It's written, Mem Zayinei. What is that in your hands? So, the Medrash already picks up on something, which is, God is not happy with this response. I told you they're going to listen to you. Now you tell me they're not going to listen to you. You want to, you want to It's written, it's written, from the thing in your hand. You, you, what's that in your hand, Moses? It's a staff. Mate. Throw it down to the ground. And when he threw it down to the ground, it became a nachash. It becomes a snake. And Moses runs away from it. He runs away from the snake. So the Medrash sees in this so-called God is giving Moshe a sign. But there are different ways to give a sign. This particular sign, when Moshe throws it down to the ground, it turns into a snake. Since Moses ran away from it, he's afraid it's going to bite him or something. So it means that the sign, God could have given the sign differently. The sign says the Medrash was given in a way that it was a, a deep rebuke to, to Moshe. Turning into a snake, says the Medrash, Medrash, it's the Pshat, I think. It's not an accident. But what does a snake do? The snake, basically, one of the qualities of the snake, the Nachash Akadmoni, is the snake talks about, about God in a, in, a, in a negative way. The snake talks about the other, puts the other in the worst possible light. I heard you can't have all the fruit. Oh, we can have the fruit. Is that one fruit we can't have because we're going to die? That's not the reason. That's not, that, that, that's not the reason. This God of yours doesn't want you to be God. Now the snake happens to be telling the truth, but if in the mouth of the snake it's a, it's a deep critique of God, who has forbidden the human from eating the, this particular fruit, and of course it's also, also forbidden the snake from eating the fruit. So the snake is one who talks negatively about someone else. That's a snake. That's one aspect of the snake, and of course the snake has other negative qualities as well. The snake sets up the snake as God's opposition, as kind of, kind of alternative to God. But over here we have the snake who speaks poorly. By the way, you have it in the Chumash later also, that this, the quality of the snake, which is to talk against somebody. And you have it, actually, in a very interesting story. I was thinking about this a lot recently for completely other reasons. I'm not going to get into that now. But the idea of what the snake represents in the Bible. And you have it, it's interesting, in the book of Bamidbar. After the death of Aaron, after the death of Miriam, after the beginning, the emergence of a new generation, and they're about to come to the well, Shirata Be'er, and afterwards they're going to win their first battle. And the story before they get to the well is a famous story, Nechash HaNechoshet. This is actually the last, I realized, that's what I realized a few days ago. The Nechash HaNechoshet, I always wondered about that story. 
is the last story before they come to the well, that which is the turning point, the new generation, the victory against Sichon, the conquest of the land. The last story, which means it's a story about the second generation, because Miriam dies and Aaron dies, it's a new generation. But before they get to the well, there's the story of the Nechash HaNechoshet. What is the story of the Nechash HaNechoshet? The, 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 the bronze serpent, the serpent, they're traveling, and they are, it's chapter 21, it says that they traveled by way of Yamsuf. The, what happened was that before that, Moshe sends a message to the king of Edom. He says, let us pass through your land. And Edom, Esau, Edom, Seir, says, no way. And they bring their army out, and Israel cannot go through Edom, God, they travel away. And in chapter 21, on page 332, they are traveling with Smovet Eretz Edom to go around Edom. So they can't go straight through. They get the shorter way. They have to go around. Circuitous way. They travel by way of the, of the Sea of Reeds, Yamsuf. Fatiksar Nefesh Ambaderech. And the people became, here they translate, restive. Katsar means, Katsar means short. They're traveling in a roundabout way and their spirit became Katsar, Katsar Ruach. So these people spoke against God and against Moses. Why did you take us out of Egypt to die in the desert? We have no bread, we have no water. And we're sick and tired of this food that you give us, this miserable food that you give us. We don't like it. And God sent against the people the scorpions that, that bite. So what's interesting is, in that story, the Chumash represents it. Why is God sending the Nechashim against them? Presumably, because their behavior is that of the Nachash. But what did they do wrong? They spoke against God and Moses. They imputed to God a bad motive. The reason you're taking us in a roundabout way is because you don't care about us. And it's proof of that we have no water, we have no food, and the food we do eat is sickening. This miserable mud we get every day. And God doesn't... God responds in kind by sending the Nachash. So the Nachash, in that story, in the words of the Torah, is one who speaks evil of the other and, and, and represents the other person in the worst possible light. That's the quality of the snake. That's what the snake first did in describing God's motives. Gives God a very... Not that God wants to teach you discipline. Not that God wants to protect you and keep retain your innocence. Oh, that's what the snake, you know. But no. Whatever God... That's not the reason. God just doesn't want you to be God. Is God wants to keep you in your place, basically. That's what the, that's what the stake says. So it's a negative. Put, it's over here too. That's how the man receives it. They're not going to listen to me. Really? What's that in your hand? It's a it's a it's a staff. Throw it down. Throw it down to the ground. Throws it on the ground. It turns into a snake, and Moses, Moses runs away from it. So it means he's afraid it's going to bite him. So God said to him, Moshe." Grab at its tail, it's navo. The snake is like, basically the snake has a tail, but the snake basically is a tail, that's all it is. That's, right. Grab its navo. And Moshe grabbed onto it and held it. It turned back into a mateh. 
Elokei Abraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. In order, says God, they will believe in you, that the God of their ancestors has appeared to you. The question is, beyond what I said about the punishment of Moshe for speaking ill of the people, what else is this sign about? What's actually going on over here? What's, what's, what's the real conversation about? I'm suggesting about this. God said to Moses, I want you to go down and save the people. Just go in faith. Just believe me, I'm going to be with you. Just go. So Moses has this, I don't know if I can do it. Who am I to do it? What am I going to say? What is your name? God answers all those questions. Okay, now here's what you got to do. I'm going to warn you, it's not easy. Go get the elders. They're going to believe in you. They're going to accept you. Go together, speak to Pharaoh. It's not going to work at first. It's a long process. Eventually, though, you're going to be free people. You're going to be free. And the Egyptians will recognize that you're free. They'll even give you gifts. So Moses is supposed to go. But no, no, you can't go. They're not going to believe in me. So whether that's a lack of faith in God, or a lack of faith in himself, or both, but, but God, what's one second? God says, God says, okay, Moshe, here's the point. I, I wanted to send you in faith. Obviously, you can't, can't accept it. So I'm not going to send you down to Mitzrayim as a prophet. That's not a, I'm going to send you down to Mitzrayim to some degree as a, a magician. In other words, the point is that Moshe is going to go to speak to Pharaoh. What am I saying? Pharaoh's own, own, own terms. Moshe is going to go down not as simply bringing God's word, but Moshe is going to go and Moshe is going to... I mean, it's one way to read it. Moshe is going to go as a kind of magician. But there's another way to, 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 to read it as well, which is the following. In other words, Moshe's concern seems to be that the people are not going to accept him. That's Moshe's concern. What God is saying to Moshe is the following. There are two ways to deal with that. One way to deal with it is just do your own thing. You, you, you have your message. At first, it'll be very difficult. People won't understand what you're saying. And eventually, if you stick to your guns, you'll be able to move them up to where you want to bring them. That's one way to do it. There's another way to do it also, which is to start where they are. To go out to, to meet them on their level. On their level is the level of superstition, magic, the culture of Egypt. The snake, from this perspective, represents not just, you know, the snake who spoke evil against God, but the, the word Nachash carries with it another meaning in the, uh, in the Torah. A Nachash, a Menachesh, is one who divines. Lavan is called the Menachesh. Joseph in Egypt calls himself a Menachesh. Bilam's prophecy said, Kilo Nachash Biyakov, Vokestem Israel. God bring, brought them out of Egypt, and Israel at this point has no Nachash, has no, has no witchcraft, has no divination. But sometimes, when you start with people, one approaches to, to, to start on their level. That's the story of, this, of the Nachash HaNechoshet, actually. The Nachash HaNechoshet, God set the snakes against them, and the people said to Moshe, we have sinned, remove, remove from us the snake. What's curious about the story of the bronze snake is the following. That God actually said to Moshe, take a, a right? make for yourself a bronze serpent and put it on a banner. 
and whoever is bitten can look up at the batter and be and be and be healed. So Moses made the Nachash Hanachoshet, the broad serpent. What's interesting about the broad serpent, actually many things, but one is this, that actually that's not what the people had actually requested. Right? What did the people request of the broad serpent? They went to Moses, we have sinned against God and against you. Pray unto God, for your and take the snakes away from us. But that's not what God does, actually. You ever think about this? God could have said to the, this is God sent the snakes against them. If God sends the snakes against them, God could say to the snakes, snakes, please retreat, have a different task, go back to you wherever you came from, until I call you again on a different day. That's not what the Chumash says. God did not tell the snakes to go back. The snakes are still biting. But, if they bite you, there's a cure. And the cure is the snake itself, actually. The, the cure is the, not just Nachash, but Nachash HaNechoshet. It's a play on the word snake. Nachash HaNechoshet. Super snake. The way you are cured is by looking at the snake. Which suggests something else, which is, the snake is actually with us. It's not that God takes the snake away. In that, that's the beginning of a... It's really the beginning of the second generation. The point is, at that point in time, they actually have within them the snake. They are influenced by their past, or by their parents' teeth, or their parents will die in the desert. So the point is, the way you begin with the second generation is by recognizing where they are, and by dealing on that level, by trying to use the nachash, not just as in, trying to use the very snake itself, as a way to move you forward. Now, I don't think that in general, that's what Moshe... That's not what God has in mind over here. God has something different in mind. Forget snakes, forget signs, forget miracles, forget wonders. Forget anything. Just go and I will be with you. Just have faith in me, it's all going to be good. And Moshe can't accept it. For whatever reason, he can't accept it. Basically, he doesn't either... He has a little faith in himself, it strikes me. He has less faith in the people. And therefore, God is saying, okay... See, God, God has no choice in this story. Because there's only one candidate. There's one candidate. So there's no one else. Moses is the only candidate, so he's all this leverage. So God wants Moshe to go. The point of the story is that Moshe is extracting from God all kinds of concessions. That this was not God's initial plan to go with a, with a staff that turns into a snake. But what can we do? Moshe feels he can't do it otherwise. If you think you can't do it, you probably can't do it. So therefore, I will equip you with signs. The first one is the matan that turns into a snake. Obviously, there's a negative side to it. And the second one, just to read the second one, and I'll take all the comments. The second one is, Vayomer Hashem go old. Now, I have another trick for you. Here's the other trick. Put your hand into your bosom. And the second one is, his hand becomes leprous. Restore your hand. Put it back. Now we have a second sign, also very strange. The first sign, the staff turns into a snake. The second sign is he turns into a, uh, into a leper. I don't think it takes a great, great jump of imagination to see that these two signs have a negative side to them. Leprosy and snakes are the signs, that's what you're bringing into, in, 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 into Mitzrayim. That was not God's initial plan. plan was, go and you'll be my, I'll tell you what to say and you'll speak. But no, but uh, Moshe can't accept it. So therefore, 
we have to get that on a different level. We have to deal with on the level of miracles, magic. It wasn't God's initial plan, but Moshe is unwilling to go the other way. Yeah, what do you want to say? Uh, it reinforces what you're saying now, what you said before, that he's coming from a place. He was brought up in Pharaoh's palace. He's a culturated Egyptian. He, it's hard for him to hear this call and accept it. It isn't only that he's insecure, but in his life experience. Uh, right. He, it, he, this is the unseen God who's going to protect you. How can he relate to that? Or how can, even if he knows it's true, how can he feel comfortable with that? He's not comfortable, it's really. No, he doesn't. That's true. That he doesn't seem to. That's the whole point of the snare. It's clear in the story that he has no experience with this God whatsoever. Which is why God needs this trick. If, if Moshe had experience with God, he wouldn't need a snare. Because later on, we don't need a snare. Later on, Moshe talks to God face to face. There's no need for, for signs, for, for tricks. But in the beginning of his career, it's not a question of blaming him, but where, where would he know this from? How could he possibly know any of this? Right. So, of course, he is resisting it. But the point I want to make is the resistance is coming, I think, from three different places. A, he may not, he doesn't comprehend the God who's speaking to him. He wants to understand God. Tell me your name. He wants to understand. Totally legitimate. B, he doesn't think he could actually do it. Who am I to do it, he says. And C, not a small point, he doesn't believe the people want him. His only experience with the people is they yell at him and he has to run away. He has no positive experience with the Jewish people. And he's perfectly happy where he is. And he said, they're not going to accept it. I know what you're talking about. Now, the people that I met are not going to believe me. I'm going to come and pronounce, here I am, I've come, you know. Who are you? How do we know that God, you say God appeared to you. How do we know it's true? You have no, you're not one of our leaders. We have elders. But why should we believe you? All of these things, I think, all of these three different reasons are here in the story. And now God added one more thing. If they, if they don't believe you, if they don't accept the first sign, they'll accept the second sign. And then God continues, if they don't accept either sign, and they won't listen to you. So God agrees. Maybe, maybe they won't. They don't believe the first two signs. There's another sign. And this sign is very interesting. You'll take the water of the Nile, throw it on the ground, it will turn into blood. That's interesting because that sign, which, you, which is addressed to the Jews, not to the Egyptians, but it's also the first plague. So that the, turning the water into, blood, water into blood in the Chumash, here, it's not about Mitzrayim. It doesn't sound that way. It sounds like, or maybe it's the same sign, but the purpose of it is to get them to believe in you, and they'll get them to believe in you, that is, the Jews will believe in you, when you perform this miracle, probably is the first plague, but the, the, the purpose of it is not so much for Mitzrayim, the purpose is for them. I have two things to say about this, this puzzle over here. One is, what is that what is that? What is the difference between the first two signs and the third sign? The first two signs, because God says they may not. May, maybe, they, maybe you're right, Moshe. Maybe they won't accept the first sign. 
and maybe even they won't accept the second sign, but then I'll give you a third sign. And the third sign is the first plague, which is the turning of the water into the blood. And maybe there's something about that sign which speaks to them more than the other two, because the, this particular sign, which is the first plague, is, is responding to the experience of the Jewish people. The experience of the Jewish people is that all the boys are being thrown into the, the Nile River is filled with blood. That is the blood of all the boys that are thrown in there. It's not an accident in the Chumash that Moshe himself is placed by the waters. They could have had some other thing. Placed by the waters is a way of saying that for Moshe to lead the people, he has to be able to relate to their experience. Moses himself was pulled from the water. So the point is, he can represent them, represents us because he had that experience. So the third sign is more powerful than the, if it opens the first two signs, they may re- respond to the third sign. That's one point. But the second point I want to make is something else, which I think is, is God's true answer to what Moses... Moses had said, listen, maybe they're not going to listen to me. Which seems to be a, a legitimate uh, argument. How do I know they're going to accept me? So God's answer is the following. I think, I, here's my, my understanding of it. God says, listen, I've just explained to you that the redemption is not taking place in one day. You're going to go to Pharaoh. He's going to reject you. He's not going to accept you. And not only that, there'll be a lot of, I'm going to beat up on Pharaoh. He's still not going to accept you. It's only when we hit him with all the signs and all the miracles, finally, he's going to accept you. And even there, there's even a sense that he'll send you. And that even if he sends you, it's not that he wants to send you, Maybe it's where the Egyptian people want to send you. Maybe that's part of the message that they'll give you all the gifts. You win over the Egyptian people through this process. Pharaoh will eventually send you, but it's going to be difficult. And now Moses says to God, but the people aren't going to believe in me. And God's answer is, I've already answered that question, which is, you're right, actually. In other words, they're going to believe in you initially, they're going to go with you, right? They're going to speak to Pharaoh, etc. But Moses was asking a different question, maybe, which was, okay, they're going to believe, they're going to go with me, they'll hear what they have to say, they'll go to Pharaoh. But you just told me, you just said to me, that Pharaoh's not going to let us go. And not even with the great hand, says Moses. So what do you mean they're going to believe in me? They'll believe in me the first day, or the first week, or the first three weeks, or the first month. Are you telling me that people are actually going to believe in me forever? Why would they? Won't they have doubts? You just told me my mission is going to fail. That's what you told me, short term. I'm going to fail. So why would they believe me? So God's answer to Moshe is, I've already answered your question, which is, okay, you want the signs. God doesn't want the signs, but let me explain. That's also part of the process. In other words, part of the process is not just that Pharaoh has to accept you know, agree to let you go. But part of the process, this whole process, is that the people have to accept you. And in point of fact, Moshe's, Moshe's argument is not a bad one. Because when you read the Chumash, it's obvious when you read the Torah that there are many points in time when the people actually don't think Moses is a very good leader. It happens all the time. They're constantly complaining about him. As soon as they cross the, I said as soon as they cross the sea. 
before they crossed the sea, at the sea. Why do you take us to die? You know, well, what is this? Then they cross the sea. There's no water. Then there's no food. Then there's no water. Then golden calf. You name it. One after the next. Moshe is not God's answer. I think is if it's an answer to the question, you're correct. It's not going to be simple. It's a, the same way Pharaoh is not easy. It's part of. I already answered your question. You're in this for the long haul. Don't expect immediate results from Pharaoh, and by implication, don't expect immediate results from the people. It's not happening. In fact, in the Chumash, in this very book of Shemot, on two different occasions, God says to Moses, something's going to happen now, and they're going to believe in you. Twice in this book it says it. First is it, Kriyat Yamsuf, when they crossed the sea. By Yamidu Bashem Uva Moshe Avdo, they believed in God and Moses. But then a few chapters later, God said to Moshe, I'm going to descend in a cloud upon Sinai, that the people will hear me speak and they will have faith in you forever I thought they had faith in Moses before so why must God say a second time they have faith in you forever because there's faith in this faith because there's faith when things are going well everybody's a winner oh, of course great leader and then there's setbacks always so people forget people desert the ship because it's sinking they think and that's human nature. So God said to Moses, in this very book, on two different occasions, God said to Moshe, God has to say it twice. It means, look, just read the Chumash. So it's obvious. So Moshe's, we think about Moshe's sin in speaking. He didn't sin. I mean, I mean, God doesn't like what he says, but it doesn't mean that he's wrong. He's 100%. He has grave. He's taking on this task, which he doesn't want to take on. He's a very legitimate question well, who's going to accept me and you just told me I'm going to fail at first so why would they accept me God says don't worry about it I'm going to be with you you'll have signs you'll deal with them you'll work with them but the need for the signs God, God said if they don't believe the, here's a sign if they don't believe the second sign here's a second sign and then God says if they don't believe in these two signs what I mean it, it says you think they're not going to believe you at first let me tell you something they're not going to believe you later either. That's what God says. If we need the third sign, which is the plague. The third sign is different. The third sign demonstrates that you understand their situation. You empathize with the situation. The water is turning to blood. Okay, so what, two more minutes. We're not even going to finish. By Yom HaMoshe Hashem Biyadunai. So now he has another... Okay, I got all this now. But now he says, I have a different problem. I'm not a... I'm, I'm not a talker. I'm not a man of words. I'm not a good speaker. I am heavy of mouth, heavy of tongue. It means, we don't know exactly what that means. Does it mean he has a speech impediment? Does it mean he fumbles, he's, the poor, he's just a poor talker? He can't speak well. He's not a good speaker. I'm not, I'm not an eloquent orator. I'm not a leader who gets up and has a beautiful speech. I'm not a man of words. God said to Moses, who has, who has given the human being speech? Makes the human dumb or deaf, seeing or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Go, I will be with you as you speak and will instruct you what to say. There's a lot to say about this. I want to say one thing. One last word here about 
we'll have to continue next uh, semester. We'll continue with right. Moshe. But I want to say one thing about this story. I, one of the interesting features of this book, there are hundreds of them, but one of the things we notice at the beginning of Sefer Shemot is that the Chumash recalls for us an early story of the Torah. The book of Exodus begins with building. Pharaoh wants us to build with brick and Chomer and Levainim. Chomer and Levainim is found in a different story in the Torah. Building with Chomer and Levainim. It's the Tower of Babel. With Chomer and Levainim. In fact, when you look at that story, you realize that the language of Migdal Babel is actually the language of the beginning of the book of Exodus. Hava, Hava, Hava Nerda, Hava Nivnelanu Ir, Hava Nishat Malo. God says, Pen, right? Pen, God says. That's how Sefer Shemot begins. And what's about is the big tower of Babel. They all got together. The whole world gets together in Babel. Let's make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the earth. And the story of Mitzrayim, Babel, is that the Jewish people have lost their identity. That's how the book begins. They have no names. It's a story with the book of, with the, the book of, book of names. They were Shemot, but in chapter 2, they have no names. And here the Chumash picks up again with Migdal Babel. Migdal Babel, God has scattered the, all of creation all over the world. Why so? Kishom Balal Hashem Svad There God has mixed up the speech of the whole world. Now you come to the story of Mitzrayim, where Pharaoh is imposing on the Jews. He's forcing us to build. Chomer, Ruvenim. He wants to break us down. And who is standing up against the Pharaoh? It's interesting. Who's standing against Babel, one might say? It's amazing. Someone who can't speak, actually. It's not an accident. Moshe's Kvad Peh and Kvad In fact, Moses refers to himself later. God says in chapter 6, go to Pharaoh. And Moses says to God, how can I speak? How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Chumash is a very strange expression. Vani Aral Svatayim. Uncircumcised lips. Aral Svatayim. The story of Babel uses the word for language, the word Safa. That's how the Migdal Babel begins. The whole world was Safa Achat Udvarim Achadim. Typically in Biblical Hebrew, in the Torah, the word for language is not Safa. The word for language is Lashon. Kvad Peh Uchvad Lashon Anochi. The word Safa only appears in Migdal Babel in terms of language in the Torah. In one of the places, which is what Moses describes himself later as Aral Sfatayim. It's very it's not an accident that when God is sending against Pharaoh Babel, right? King of Babel is what he basically is, God sends to undo the king of Babel somebody who actually cannot speak. It's not an accident. In other words, it's not that Moses is very talented. Okay, he can't have everything. He's not a good speaker. It's the opposite, actually. God doesn't want a speaker. That, that's the point of the story. Moshe says, I Right? Later in the story of Shemot, we'll get to it. God says to Moses about Pharaoh, He has a heavy heart. Power was Kaved Lev. Moses is Kvad Peh and Kvad Roshon. And in his own words, Aral Svatayim. It's the opposite. God says to Moses, I don't want a talker. 
I don't want someone who can give big speeches. I want someone who's going to go as, as my representative. And that's fine that you're quite bad. Don't worry about it because I'm going to tell you what to say. But actually what's interesting is that even though Moshe is described as that's how Moses describes himself. We have no reason to assume it's not true. But the funny thing is he becomes the most eloquent speaker in the world. Mm. You know that? Who's more eloquent than Moses? He sings the song of the saved and when he has to intervene on behalf of us he knows exactly what to say. At the golden calf, who do we want to pray for us if not Moshe Rabbeinu? He's the greatest, you know? He knows exactly what to say. He knows exactly how to, I, actually, I would, might even say manipulate God, how to respond to God, how to... He's very eloquent. So something happens to Moses. Part of it is his own insecurity. But later on, as he gets a sense of who he really is, who his identity is, what his mission is, he's very clear on the mission. And once he's clear on the mission, he knows exactly what to say. So I think there are two points over here. One is that God initially doesn't want I'm not a man of, of words, says God to Moses. I don't want a man of words. I want a man of action. You are a man of action, that's for sure. On three different occasions, he steps in. But the words don't worry about. I know all about the words. I, I have, I have, who gives the human being the ability to speak, if not me? To see, to hear, to talk. Just go, go, go with me. I'll, I'll be with you. That's the first point. But the other interesting point is, eventually, hopefully you get there, he becomes a man who's very good with words, actually. He's great with words. Um, 